digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, climate change, farming, gardening, and food. So today I'm super excited to have as my guest here on Digging in the Dirt, Jessica Damiano, an AP gardening columnist and journalist. She's a garden coach, a community educator, and author, and she has a newsletter. It's called The Weekly Dirt, sort of related to my program. Jessica's gardening calendar was named a winner in the 2021 Garden Communicators International Media Awards. The calendar can be considered, she says, 365 visits from a gardening friend who stops by every day with tips and advice and inspiration and timely reminders about what needs to be done in the garden and when. But most importantly, I asked Jessica here today to talk to me about my favorite fruit in the garden, the tomato. You see, Jessica created the Great Long Island Tomato Challenge in search of the year's largest tomato. That annual contest ran until she left the Long Island Newsday newspaper in 2019. So she knows a lot about tomatoes. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me on. And I, I too, um, love tomatoes. They are my favorite fruit as well. So let's start with the contest. It no longer goes on, but you know, can you tell us about it? Oh yeah, of course. So back when I when I started my garden column, I guess I started it in 2006. It was called Garden Detective, and about a year in. I was trying to think of a way to engage the community, you know, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had some kind of a contest here at Newsday every year? And my first thought was pumpkins. And I was like, well, how are people going to bring pumpkins <laughs> to Newsday? These things go weigh a thousand pounds, you know? So I said, well, I love tomatoes. Everybody loves tomatoes. They are the most popular planted backyard uh, I'm going to say vegetable because most people, but we know their fruits. Um, and so I said, let's have the Great Long Island Tomato Challenge. And it was a hit. You know, the, the, the wonderful thing about it is, yes, it was it was a competition. And actually, that was kind of funny because people would come 100, 150 people would come, you know, this one night a year and usually the end of August. And they would bring their biggest tomatoes. And there were categories also for the ugliest tomato and the smallest tomato. Right. But the big tomato was was the big prize um, and the biggest honor. And I would, you know, crown the new tomato king or queen, you know, for the year. Cool. And um, they would come into the Newsday Auditorium um, with their tomatoes in a basket or in a Tupperware covered with a dishcloth. <laughs> like they wanted to psych each other out. They didn't want anyone to see how big their tomato was until it was their turn to walk up and have it weighed by me. Um, so that was a lot of fun and people took it really seriously. But you know, the beautiful thing about it was that yes, like-minded grow growers would get together with me once a year. They would share stories. They would share seeds, um, which was great. Even though it was competitive, there was also this camaraderie. Sure. You know? And then a few years later, someone in the group would win with a tomato grown from a seed shared by a previous winner. So that was, and they would come, the same people would come every year and it grew, of course, as time went on, but you know, everybody would get to know each other. So it was really lovely. So what was um, the biggest tomato that was uh, brought in? It was over five pounds. Really? The biggest one was over five pounds. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall the exact weight. It was maybe 5.1 five pounds, one ounce, something wow. like that. Yeah, that's big. It was big. Yeah. But even the three pounders were the size of a baby's head. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are big. You know, the three pounders were big. Um, and you know what? Several content the first year 
um, a man named Vincenzo Domingo one with seeds that he had gotten from his brother who lived in Sicily. So he wasn't sure of the, like the variety name, but it was an ox heart, a, a beef heart tomato. And he shared seeds afterwards. They exchanged information, you know, with other contestants and attendees. And they, you know, would get together during the year and they would share seeds and secrets. So quite a few people then had Domingo tomatoes. They called them Domingo tomatoes because that was his name. They named them after him. So it was a three pound, 14 ounce tomato that won. So fast forward to 2019, now that was 2007. So in 2019, I'm reading the news online and I see a headline about a new Guinness world record for growing the world's largest tomato. So of course I clicked in, right? I'm sure you would sure. do that. That yeah. certainly you know, got my attention. And the story was about a couple in Clinton, New York, which is upstate, far from me, Gene and Steve Marley, I believe their names were, who had broken the world record for growing the world's largest tomato. And they said in the story that it was a Domingo variety. No, that's yeah, great. Shared with them by a pumpkin grower who I recognize as someone who attended my tomato challenge every year. So that was like so cool, you know, that like the Very world's cool. biggest tomato, you know, originated from a seed from a tomato that I crowned, you know, many years earlier. So that was a lot of fun. Sure. You know, I, when I saw the article that you recently just published about tomatoes, big tomatoes, I went and did some, you know, more research about it. And I saw that a dentist won not too long ago from out East and <laughs> he, he used the Belgian giant, which that's my favorite tomato. So I was immediately drawn to him that he actually won your contest with a Belgian I giant. I believe he won twice. I believe yeah. he won twice. Yeah. Yeah. The Belgian it's... giants. You know, over and over, it was the same varieties. It was a handful of varieties that would win every year. So there were the Belgian giants, um, Rhode Island giant, porterhouse, and beef hearts. Those were the ones that sure. repeatedly, you know, would win the challenge. Those are the big ones. See, taste is a big deal for me too. So that's why the Belgian giant succeeds for me is because mm. it's not only big slicer where you can get a big, you know, like a half inch slice of tomato out of it for a tomato sandwich. <laughs> uh, and, and then it also has taste, you know, that's, that to me was key. To the, they are the, delicious. Yeah, and you know, the uglier, the better. For yep. some reason, it's those gnarled, bumpy <laughs> tomatoes that yeah, taste sure. the best. What's your favorite tomato? Um, I do like the bull's hearts. Um, some people call them cor de boeuf if you're French or cor de boeuf if you're Italian. They're also called ox hearts. And the thing is, you get three shapes of tomatoes on the same plant. You get a free-formy sort of roundish tomato. You get an oval one. And then you get one that's actually shaped like a heart. Not not a Valentine's heart, <laughs> like a like a biological heart, you know, sure. round on the top and a, and a little pointed on the bottom, and they're they're so good, they're so tasty. But then, then I do love as far as the hybrids go, the big boys. There's they're nothing special to look at, but they grow well and they are really tasty. I find mm -hmm. them really tasty. And they're probably a little hardier. I mean, they they resist disease and everything because they are hybrids. Exactly. Those gnarled, ugly ones that I love so much. Sometimes there's a tough fiber inside that needs to be cut away. You know, they're sure they're, you know, all the heirlooms are going to be uh, imperfect, but they're, they're delicious. Yeah, they're delicious. Yeah. I love mm -hmm. the black crims and the Cherokee purples and things like that. And also there's a one from Long Island called the Shinnecock Current. It's a mm -hmm. little tiny tomato with a such a burst of flavor that was given to me by a tomato grower out in Long Island. And I like that one a lot also. 
I haven't tried those. I'm going to I'll have, have to. Look to I'll them. send you some seeds. Okay, thank yeah, you. But you know the black crims and the I I can't. I just can't do it. I grew them once, and yes, they're delicious. People love them, but I cannot get past the color. That's me with yellow tomatoes. I can't. <laughs> I'm not a big yellow tomato fan. So, but I I love the taste of the. I I even go black cherries. You know the 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 cherry tomato that's black. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we we like those a lot. So yeah, it's so unappetizing to me. But they they are. I just I don't know. I'm programmed, I guess, to just see a tomato is red. Red. Yeah. There you go. That's the same way I feel about yellow tomatoes. Mm -hmm. so, so let's talk a little bit about growing them. We have certain issues with tomatoes so let's talk about ph first okay well see that's something there's a lot of um <laughs> there's a bit of a dispute on that um i say that uh for me the perfect um ph for a tomato would be six three to six eight okay if it goes below six three i add some dolomitic lime I've heard that I've heard people say and you know legitimate sources cite anything between six and seven um, which, yeah, they will grow and they will produce in that range. And Cornell University, who I, you know, respect um, biblically, is uh, they say 6'2 to 6'8. Yeah, so I go a little higher than them. 6'3 uh, to 6'8 or so, yeah, is what I would recommend. Okay. And, so, and you do it with lime. So I raise the pH, not only, not just lime, like lime is pulverized limestone, right? But I always look for a product that is um, dolomitic lime, because that also contains magnesium, which yeah, kind of, deal. there's a whole scientific reason behind it that I'm not even quite sure I understand. But it, it sort of, I think of it as adding vitamin D to milk, helps mm -hmm. you absorb the calcium. It's not exactly like that, but that's just a simplified version of why it's important to have magnesium in with the lime. Because mm -hmm. the problem with uh, you know tomatoes, like when you get that blossom end rot, which I think everybody who grows tomatoes has seen at um, one point or another, it's not a disease. It's a, um, it's a disorder. And it's caused most, yeah. yeah, it's caused mostly by um, irregular watering, right? Um, and it could be our fault because you know who doesn't overcompensate after neglect but it could also be you know a period of you know heavy rains you know and then followed sure. by drought and what are you going to do you really can't do anything about that um but the dolomitic lime and then that interferes with the calcium intake of the plant so the dolomitic lime really helps a great deal with that and yeah i use bone meal do you, do you ever use that as well for calcium um, not like not regularly but i have used it yes this year i'm uh, experimenting with fish emulsion i always try something different mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i like uh, the uh, neptune's harvest fish emulsion stuff that i use i them. just ordered that today that's exactly what i just ordered yeah sure yeah and mm -hmm. but i but i find that i also use a thing called quantum growth which is a a bacteria and a bottle of bugs in a jug because mm -hmm. I, you need it to be fed to the plant you know it's just i believe that mixing that kind of bacteria with uh, fertilizer helps the plant quite a bit what about okay, yeah, you can check that. that out yeah it's mm -hmm. uh it's very big with the pot growers okay they they, they love know what it. they're doing That's yeah they do they're very plant. experimental those guys so <laughs> yeah yeah this uh, you'll, you'll find that i even can use it as a foliar so i like it a lot mm -hmm. but and, and what about besides that what do you like liquid fertilizers or you know powders like i use so pelleted much? i use the pelleted types i don't mm -hmm. know do we name brands here yeah, you can. We're not pushing them. We're just. It is what it is. I I I generally use the espoma, the um, the garden tones, plant tones, 
to mm -hmm. Middletone. Sure. I like its slow release um, and it's organic. So I, I, I really only use organic things um, sure. mostly in my garden and um, certainly on things that I eat. Yeah, me too. One thing I've gotten into over the next last few years is cover crops. You ever experimented with cover crops for, this, for the winter? I have not, but I did add clover to my lawn. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Micro clover, yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's, you know, it's the trend, right? Everybody's, you know, enough with the, uh, you know, the perfect lawn with lots of chemicals, right? I wish it was a trend. I hope, I mean, I, more people are talking about it, but I, I hope it catches on and becomes more mainstream. Well, we still I'm, have I, a lot of people who love that, you know, suburban lawn. Yeah, that's that really neat look. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I find that uh, the cover crop has actually given me a lot of natural nitrogen from the winter. And it's, it's really, I just buzz it down with a weed whacker at the, and then plant right through it. And it, it, it's, the plants seem very happy. So. Just, just saying. What yeah, about uh, what you said? We were talking about watering a little bit. Uh, what, what's the what's your rules on watering? Well, for tomatoes, I would say don't allow the soil to become soggy, but don't allow it to dry out completely between waterings either. I say about an inch to an inch and a half of water per week. You know, and the best way to do that is to weave a soaker hose around plants um, or install drip irrigation so that you direct the water to the roots where it's needed. So you're not wasting water by just flailing it around, you know, with an automatic sprinkler system or, you know, even a, a rotary sprinkler because that's just wasting water. It's not necessarily going um, where it's needed. But also when you wet the leaves, um, you open up the plant to um, a host of fungal diseases, mold, mildew, and those sorts of things. Because, you know, it, especially, that's why you should always water early in the morning too, um, so that the plant has enough time you know, for the leaves to dry off. But if the plant has, you know, water and moisture trapped between the leaves, between plant parts or plants are crowded, um, that's that's going to be a problem with mold, mildew and funguses. So um, direct the water to where it's needed at the roots. I don't have any fancy watering system. I, I go out there, I stand out there with my hose. <laughs> exactly well, you described what exactly what I do. I, I have a, so <laughs> I have the uh, little drip hose that I've mm -hmm. put in years ago. So I, I keep using it works. You're, you're right. That's the way to do it. So yeah. what? Okay, here's a big one. Pinching suckers or no pinching suckers? Yes, yes. I know there's a controversy lately. Um, I say yes, because I've heard people say that they develop into fruit. And I, I've never had um, a tomato develop from a sucker. I don't, and if, if they do, it's it's inconsequential. I don't think that it really is, is losing anything. But A, they grow big and they it's too much leafy matter and it's going to shade out the fruit that's beneath it, right? Which is not good because tomatoes need a lot of sun. And then they also, you know, takes a lot of the plant's energy to grow an extra stem and, and a bunch of them everywhere there's a branch crotch, you get a sucker. So if you let them all grow, that's a lot of energy that's being spent on um, growing those, that green leafy matter. And instead of, you know, being directed to producing your tomatoes. Right. So I say pinch them off. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. Mm -hmm. And the, and the, um, the one shaft tomato plant instead of two, you know, when a plant splits and is growing two main trunks, oh, do, you, yeah. do, you, do you prefer the, I guess for bigger tomatoes, it may be that you want one, one main trunk. What do you oh, think? Well, if we're talking about, are we talking about big tomatoes? Cause that's a whole other thing. I can give you tips for growing big tomatoes, but if we're talking about growing just regular tomatoes, I don't mind two main trunks. I mean, you know, main stems, if it gets more than that, I would take them out. 
Um, I do trim off all the lateral growth from the bottom foot or so of the plant to keep it off the ground. That was um, my next question. Yeah, I yeah. find that's less disease, less diseases, less pests. You know, it's it's more sanitary that way, and good sanitation is so important. You know, it goes a long way toward avoiding diseases. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like the next thing I would say is soil. Soil is very important um, uh, to get a good crop with clay soil. Compost. Put a lot of you know organic matter in there, and compost to me is is a cure all. Um, it improves the the drainage of clay. It improves the water holding capacity of sand. It adds an incredible amount of nutrients. You just can't go wrong. You can't have too much compost. Um, in fact, the best tomatoes I ever grew were were volunteers. They grew accidentally out of a, um, a compost pile. I just let it go to see what would happen, and they were fabulous. <laughs> Yeah, I have one hanging out of my tumbler. He's he found the light and came out. So I said, I'm going to, it's so, it wants to live. I'm going to let it live. So good. It's yeah, great. So, what about aphids, the, the early scourge in the season? You know, what do you do about aphids? You know, I'm fortunate. I don't have them. I don't typically get them on my tomatoes. I get other problems, but I don't typically get those. But I, what I recommend people do for those is, well, there's a few things you can do. Um, I always start with the least, you know, the most benign method, right? So I would say, um, you know, if they're only under a few leaves, remove those leaves. If you're if you're infested, um, you know, I tried the ladybug thing; it really didn't work. I bought a box no, of they, ladybugs. They, they go they, someplace they else. Away. <laughs> you're right. Away. You have the away. same experience. <laughs> How do you keep a ladybug in your garden? <laughs> right. Well, I've since learned that that maybe I didn't do it exactly right, but still, I don't have high hopes for it. You're supposed to release them only in the evening um, because when the sun is strong, they they tend to fly away. So I did do that actually. Um, but then I've heard people putting like netting around their plants after they let the ladybugs loose, which I did not do and never occurred to me. So maybe that would give them, you know, more of a fighting chance. But still, I don't know. Yeah. I think they need to naturally be there um, and want to be there. Yeah. Well, just let me put my two cents in. I get mm -hmm. aphids early when they're very young and tender. They see, mm -hmm. I can tell because the leaf sort of curls a little bit. And I say, oh, here they are. So I'd say, like the recent this season, I have white, green, and the little purple ones, all of them populating mm -hmm. the underneath of the, the leaf. So what I do is I, I even get in there with my thumb and just squeeze them off. Or, or I also use a, an organic spray, you know, something very like marigold spray that that, that, that gets them and once you spray once it tends to they just that's it you know once the plant gets bigger the aphid is not interested in the plant so much so yeah so and then you can always use like an insecticidal soap right or a um uh, cultural oil or even if it's if nothing works for whatever reason neem oil you know but the, those are the, the only three things that I would ever use. So you adhere to the idea that if you shake the, the flower, it can produce more fruit? Well, tomatoes are self-pollinating, right, for the most part. I mean, it's it's beneficial to have bees and other pollinators, you know, help them out a little bit to move pollen around, but it's not necessary. They are, are self-pollinating. Um, but yeah, shaking it would do, I guess, what... And, and, and it's self-pollinating because of wind, right? So... I guess shaking them would create air movement and accomplish the same thing. So we're talking to Jessica Damiano and she's, as you can tell, knows a lot about tomatoes. And I really appreciate you coming by to, to talk about tomatoes with me. So what, what are you growing this year? What tomatoes are, are in your garden? 
Um, I actually only have two plants this year um, because I'm experimenting with other things. I'm growing um, a few different kinds of potatoes and um, I planted garlic for the first time. Uh, Every year for me, garlic's yeah. fresh garlic is the best. Hard neck or soft neck? Hard neck. Yeah, I planted that in October. Um, I don't know how that's, I don't, um, they're all flopping over already and they didn't even all produce scapes. So I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. Yeah, I haven't gotten um, scapes yet, but they're, they're soon. Yeah. Well, I have a section where I grew them every year, and that section this year is really a disaster. It's just not good. I planted them in another section, and they're doing fine. So there's hmm. something. I just maybe went too many years in the same spot. for. Yeah, yeah. that could definitely be it. You know, they, only, they need the same nutrients, and if they're pulling those same nutrients out year after year. But you use good fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, some you know, plants don't read books. Sometimes there's just... <laughs> Right. <laughs> you just shrug and you move on. Exactly. Gardening um, is, a, is a, uh, an experience where you can be major disappointed, you know, with pests and weather and it, it can change dramatically. So what do you, uh, when you, how do you support your tomato plants? So that's a big thing for some people. They don't realize that they do get top heavy and then they start to sink. What do you do? to? Okay. So, and again, another product, I'm not plugging them. They don't pay me. I wish they would. <laughs> because I tell everybody um, how great these things are. Um, They're called Texas tomato cage. They are so sturdy. I left them out there during Hurricane Isais that we had a couple of years ago. They didn't budge. They didn't even like tilt over. They are so strong. They're built like a brick house. And um, because for years I would get these spindly things. They would last a few years. Then the tomato would, like you said, outgrow the top of it. And um, it's like, yeah, you can cut it off, but um, I'd rather not. And so and I, and I, I had heard about these maybe 10 years ago. And I was like, I'm not paying $30 for a tomato cage. And so what I ended up doing was probably spend $50 over the last 10 years on replacing the ones mm-hmm. that would get blown away or, you know, get crushed when I was storing them over the winter or whatever. So a couple of years ago, I broke down and I bought four of them. Uh, not a couple years ago, maybe like uh, five, six years ago now. And they're heirloom quality. I mean, it's a, it's an upfront expense, but um, they'll last no, forever. It'll, it'll last forever. I wish yeah. I bought them when I was younger because then I would have had to, you know, the average cost per year would be even lower. Well, I, between that, I use large stakes and uh, also the, the the ordinary tomato cage people are used to. But I also now have started string running string up to a little scaffold above them. And I have those. Have you seen those little round clips that that clip onto the string and then go around the the, the trunk of the uh, tomato plant? They are spectacular. If you don't know them, they're. I have not. I'm familiar with the string method, but I don't know about the clips. Well, this, this little clip, when you close it, it grabs the string and then holds on to the tomato plant without squeezing it, and it keeps it suspended. It's, uh, you know, I'll have to send you a, a link on that because it really, oh, yeah. they, you know, you can re. They are plastic, but and I'm not a big plastic person, but you can reuse them every year. I've mm-hmm. been using them for four years, and they are fantastic for keeping a tomato plant going up the string. So that's just for my listeners to let them know since we're talking tomato tips here and for me i always like to try new things you know yeah. so I, you know, well the too. one thing i want to leave everybody with that uh, i got turned on to is azomite i don't know if you know about azomite but it's a um, micro mineral it has an amazing amount of uh, trace minerals in it. it comes from utah 
and it was some kind of volcanic eruption a billion years ago and it's the only place you can get it you buy a bag of that and you can't hurt your plants with it because it's just putting in all these trace minerals and i'll tell you something we noticed we're big flower growers and that we've noticed everything growing even better than ever with this with azomite and it's uh check it out it's uh, something, interesting yeah it's an interesting product to put into the garden because it, you know you're always looking to, to refurbish that soil that gets depleted you know so and so what what's another give me an, an one like really big thing you want everybody to take away about tomato plants they're they're fussy sometimes you know because you know they're look they're like seven things that tomato plants need right the weather the ph the fertilizer all that but they need also sun six hours, six to eight hours minimum of direct sun, mm -hmm. which is out of your control. I mean, even, you know, if you have a cloudy year or a lot of rainy summer, you know, that's going to affect what, you, what your, your yield is. And then, you know, and the rain is also out of your control, but you can irrigate, right? But um, it's worth it. It's so worth it. I always think that if if an alien or you know Martian would come from outer space and never you know saw any of our food before, and we presented him with a supermarket tomato and a homegrown tomato, oh. he would think they were two completely different things. That you wouldn't think they were just two different tomatoes. He would think that they were different fruits, different vegetables. You know, they're so different. Homegrown. If you've never had a homegrown tomato, um, you can just smell the difference. It's just, it just smells like summer. They just make me so happy and the best things. Exactly I think exactly how I feel. <laughs> grow tomatoes at least just once, just to experience it. Yeah, you know? the taste of a homegrown tomato is just remarkable. And a salad with the, the fresh basil. And if you plant the basil right next to the tomato, uh, as far as companion planting goes, that helps them. That, that chases away some of the insects that would uh, affect them. And, you know, anecdotally anyway, um, it's, it's said to improve their flavor. So to tell everybody where they can reach you if they need, if they want to maybe get your calendar or just, you know, sign up for your newsletter. Yes, please visit me at jessicadamiano.com. It's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-D-A-M. I-A-N-O. It's like Damien with an O. <laughs> well, Jessica Damiano, thank you so much for coming on Digging in the Dirt. I'm sure people got a lot of stuff out of our conversation. So I really thank appreciate it. Kevin, it was a pleasure. Thank yep. you. Yep. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org or diggingindthedirtradio.com.